India, China, and the Quad, Rethinking Asia's Post-COVID Geopolitics, in conversation with Pramit Pal Chaudhary, foreign editor, Hindustan Times. China has emerged from the COVID-19 pandemic unscathed, perhaps even strengthened, and in the past few months, much of Asia has had to endure its rising assertiveness. Belligerent China is nothing new, nor is anti-China sentiment. Territorial disputes in the South China Sea, regular incursions by Chinese jets into Taiwanese airspace, and the recent Indo-Chinese border confrontation are all part of a well-established pattern. Recent events, however, have catalyzed the Quad, or Quadrilateral Security Dialogue, an informal association between India, the United States, Japan, and Australia, into action. Tellingly, the Biden administration regards the recent Quad summit as the biggest foreign policy achievement of its first 60 days. What does the Quad mean for current geopolitics, and how does India fit into the emerging world order? At a recent India CFO Forum webinar, Pramit Pal Chaudhary, foreign editor at the Hindustan Times, provided a perspective on these and many other issues. A new impetus to the Quad. Designed as a counterweight to China, the Quad had lost much of its relevance until it was resurrected last year. Partly, this was due to China's successful wedge strategy, wherein it would ally with one or two members of the Quad on different issues, diverting their attention from matters around which they might otherwise have coalesced. The recent Quad summit was the first coming together of all four heads of state. It concluded with the issuance of a joint statement, the first such, which, while making no direct reference to China, preferred a deeper, more strategic vision for the group, covering a range of issues. Pharmaceuticals. For at least the next five to six years, several billion people will need to be vaccinated each year against a mutating virus. Towards this end, the Quad aims, among other things, to invest heavily in India's vaccine manufacturing capacity. Climate. The Modi and Biden governments both regard climate change as an existential issue. Seeking to re-establish global leadership on this issue, the U.S. will be prepared to suborn other matters to accomplish this goal. Further, given that the world cannot afford for India to become another China or U.S. in terms of emissions, America will help India extensively in its green transition. Trade. The Trump administration's tariffs on China had a limited impact with China using its various FTAs and other means to circumvent these barriers. For political reasons, Mr. Biden will not rescind the tariffs, but he will seek to build alliances on key technologies that will either cut China out of critical supply chains or at least provide alternatives. These include alliances on semiconductors, bringing together the Quad plus Taiwan, South Korea, Malaysia and Singapore, 5G, mainly the US and Japan, but also India, and AI, the US and India, which has both expertise and manpower in this area. China, which has invested heavily in semiconductors but remains heavily dependent on regional supply chains, is actually more concerned about these technology alliances than it is about a military one. Strategic Minerals The Quad will focus on sourcing strategic minerals, mainly rare earths. Australia, which has reserves of 20 of the 26 main strategic minerals, will be at the forefront of this effort. But there are roadblocks ahead. The Quad is bound together by common goals but faces multiple challenges that may ultimately limit what it is able to achieve. Capability gaps. The U.S. and China are both strong on technology, while Australia is not. India is strong on software but weak on hardware. This reduces the natural fit between these four countries, at least on technology. Size limitations. Strengthening the Quad will mean bringing other countries into its various partnerships, but this will be hard to achieve. South Korea is a natural fit on technology, but is unlikely to join, given the ramifications for its relationship with China and its historical issues with Japan. New Zealand would like to align with the group, but specifically around vaccines. 
This suggests that the core of the quad may not expand, but it may develop associate memberships. Difficulties in aligning Southeast Asia with the quad. The region is strategically critical to the quad as well as to supply chains. However, China has largely immobilized ASEAN, rendering it incapable of responding cohesively against it. Correcting the situation will mean bringing individual ASEAN nations in alignment with the Quad's objectives. This will be a tough ask, especially given the multiple territorial disputes in the South China Sea between China and the ASEAN states. That said, India recently stated that its maritime interest extends all the way to the South China Sea. This directly overturns the existing policy, which defines India's maritime region as covering the area between the Straits of Malacca and the Gulf of Aden. This could mean India may begin freedom of navigation operations, or FOMOPs, there for the first time. Indo-American tensions. The U.S.-China fight for dominance in the Indo-Pacific, which is itself a motivating factor for the Quad, could also limit its reach by complicating bilateral relationships. Taiwan is perhaps the most important flashpoint, with the U.S. making it clear that it will come to Taiwan's defense if China invades, and China signaling that a military conquest is very much on the cards. Tensions were particularly high at a recent U.S.-China summit in Alaska, and animosity was apparent even behind closed doors. An emerging U.S.-India climate partnership. During a recent visit to India, Special Presidential Envoy for Climate, John Kerry, presented a proposed Green Marshall Plan for India, which he later shared at the Sarah Week conference. By all accounts, the U.S. is committed to this hugely aspirational plan, which could potentially transform the Indian economy. The plan assumes that India will require $600 billion to completely transition to a green energy future. To achieve this, the U.S. and a small consortium of countries and private investors would provide funding or at least de-risk private capital flows, technology and commercial relationships in electrical mobility, batteries, etc. Japan, France, Denmark and Norway have expressed interest and the U.K. may also enlist. Mr. Kerry's plan would involve shutting down coal mines and thermal plants and may therefore trigger enormous social disruption. For its part, India is committed to the transition to the extent that it is socially and politically feasible. It already has multiple initiatives underway, but these will need to be sharply accelerated. Sino-India relations, a new equilibrium. India and China have been in a border conflict since last year. Chinese troops recently withdrew from Bangkok-So, the main point of conflict on the Ladakh border, but are maintaining their positions along three other disputed areas. Depsang Plains, Gogra, and Hot Spring. It is still unclear why China triggered the Galwan Valley confrontation, but it was probably an attempt to take down India peg. In China's view, India had been getting away with a lot, bombing Pakistan, China's closest ally, in response to the Pulwama attack, helping overthrow pro-Chinese governments in the Maldives and Sri Lanka, and undermining China in Seychelles, Mauritius, and parts of Africa and Southeast Asia. The Chinese withdrawal was as sudden and unexpected as the initial transgression. In the run-up to the Quad summit, China imposed a multi-billion dollar trade boycott on Australia, heightened the diplomatic and military pressure on Japan, and peppered its anti-U.S. rhetoric. In fact, India was the only Quad member towards which it made conciliatory moves. Moreover, it withdrew without demanding any face-saving gestures, such as getting India to pull back first. China is probably hoping that this would nudge India to block any anti-China maneuvers by the Quad, but this hope was misplaced. Moreover, India has also refused to overturn the economic measures it imposed against China last year, such as the ban on Chinese apps, restrictions on inbound FDI, and stricter security screenings.
Essentially, India may ease some restrictions in non-sensitive sectors, such as automobiles, while maintaining a complete ban on Chinese FDI in anything involving data and critical infrastructure. The question of whether to consider Hong Kong a semi-independent jurisdiction or a part of mainland China is also unresolved. Unbalanced, there is little reason to believe that the Sino-Indian relationship will return to its pre-Bangkok Seoul equilibrium. Most immediately, India's recent actions give China no incentive to be conciliatory. Further, India has made it clear that what it seeks is both disengagement and de-escalation at the border, in the absence of which normalization is impossible. Disengagement without de-escalation is irrelevant because thousands of soldiers and multiple fighter jets and tanks remain mobilized on both sides and in close proximity. Unless they de-escalate, they can potentially double back to an offensive position at any time. More fundamentally, China seeks to establish itself as the dominant power both in Asia and globally. It no longer sees the need to maintain a healthy and cordial relationship with its neighbors. Thus faces the new equilibrium in which its relationship with China will not only be more confrontational, but also built on a considerably smaller Chinese economic footprint in India. Militarily, the no-man's land along the border will shrink, as will the scope for peaceful mutual patrolling of this area. Eventually, the line of actual control will end up looking more like the line of control. India and the rest of the world. Pakistan has become largely irrelevant to the Indian government. However, India remains willing to engage in dialogue on all issues barring Kashmir. From India's perspective, the abrogation of Article 370 is a closed matter, and Kashmir is on the path to normalcy, though pending the restoration of democratically elected legislature. The international community, including China, has remained neutral, and even the Pakistani system seems to be internally divided on the issue. Its army chief recently spoke up in favor of dialogue, and Prime Minister Imran Khan gave the green light to resuming trade ties before retracting, presumably under political pressure. For now, the status quo of no dialogue is likely to continue. Tellingly, the foreign ministers of the two countries were both present at a recent conference in the UAE, but did not interact with each other. United Kingdom. With Brexit now done, India must renew its relationship with Britain. What India would like to achieve is a new FTA covering immigration, services, technology, and a host of other areas where both India and Britain are competitive. Such a model FTA might then form the basis for one with the EU. Europe. The pandemic has effectively put on hold the deepening of India's relationship with many European nations. India's ties with France remain strong, but those with Germany have suffered on account of the latter's strategic weakness towards China. Most of Europe would like to partner with India on various fronts. However, with Russia, the relationship is deteriorating on account of Russia's growing proximity to China. Vladimir Putin has publicly stated that a military alliance with China is not entirely off the table, and if that were to happen, it would derail Indo-Russian ties. He used to believe that the West must not completely isolate Russia, but the situation has deteriorated further under the Biden administration, which is upset about Russia's purported interference with the 2016 U.S. elections and Mr. Putin's closeness to Donald Trump. Germany is trying to stabilize Europe's relationship with Russia, but should the ailing Russian dissident Alexei Navalny die, it would be a body blow to U.S.-Russia relations. The Middle East. India's relationship with the Middle East centers around investments in oil and gas and in renewable energy. With Iran, India generally has cordial relations, but ties are now under a cloud because India, while publicly condemning the U.S. sanctions on Iran, abides by them in practice. Given America's control over the international financial system, this is understandable. Individuals and business executives who defy U.S. sanctions risk losing access to their bank accounts or even being arrested.
This has prompted the RBI to issue regulations urging Indian banks to abide by the sanctions. Yet India continues to seek exemptions, such as permission to buy oil from Iran or to help build its port at Chabahar. Afghanistan. Having announced several times in the past that it would withdraw its troops from Afghanistan, under Joe Biden, the U.S. is more likely to achieve this goal. Mr. Biden knows that he has only a two-year window before the midterm elections, which ruling parties typically lose, to complete the task. His past experience dealing with the U.S. military chiefs and his understanding of the directions they would raise led him to bypass the military and make a bold public announcement to this effect. A few years ago, the U.S. withdrawal would have been a source of serious concern for India, but no longer. Earlier, India worried that Pakistan would leverage a friendly Taliban regime in Afghanistan to ramp up militancy in Kashmir. Today, however, India has less to be concerned about, given an increasingly irrelevant Pakistan, the changes India has brought about on the ground in Kashmir, and the fact that the Taliban has become more suspicious of Pakistan, even though the two continue to work together tactically. Moreover, the Taliban has refused to take a position on Kashmir and has repeatedly indicated that it seeks to maintain cordial relations with India. Thus, India will continue to support the current Afghan regime, but if the Taliban does come to power, it will focus on managing that transition.